Thank you. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. May I speak in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, y'all. There are people here for whom can be seated. What a joy. I am not a priest. I just poorly play one on Facebook Live. My study of the Bible is relatively recent and shallow. I did not find my way into regular worship until I met Jean. Sure, my childhood featured Easter Sunday services in fluffy Talbot's dresses, if anybody remembers those, and two weeks each summer of vacation Bible school. But those were less an expression of my belief in God than they were in my being easily bribed by flowery dresses and weeks of time at grandma's house. I am not a rector. Mm. But I am a writer. I've consumed a lot of stories in all sorts of different media. I love the craft of storytelling and the tropes and tools we writers use to tell a story right. And that's why I think I love John's gospel. There are many recognizable writer's tricks in his work. I think there is even a recognizable framework to his storytelling. John's work smacks of speculative fiction because it's so obviously fantastical, leaning all the way into the divine nature of Jesus. John walked with the Son of God and lived to tell the tale. He needs you to know that. And in this portion of his gospel, which would be labeled the bad guys close in beat if this were a novel or a movie, John chooses to build to the climactic scene of his testimony by using a notable trick, breaking the fourth wall. John has been on a mission for the entirety of this gospel. He asks you to believe that Jesus is divine, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. He needs you to believe that. He kept, keeps checking in to make sure that if you didn't believe before you started, that then you are coming to believe by the end of reading his story. John, the writer, knows a few things as he's writing. He knows you know the events of Holy Week. So you've heard all this sequence before. Jesus is in the garden. He's by himself. He's praying his prayers before his betrayal is final and he suffers death on the cross. John knows you know that. Just as we writers fully expect that you've read enough stories to know it all and to expect it all. So here's John's twist. John gives you the prayer no one else gave you. He writes that Jesus prays for his disciples and then John writes that Jesus prays 
for you. It's as if Jesus looks at the camera just to wink at you and talk to you. They believed in me, so I pray for them. Do you believe, future reader? If you do, I'm praying for you, too. This hits me in a couple of satisfying spots. I intellectually like to be reminded that the Bible wasn't written by God, but by humans. Humans who wrote down their gospels long after the events were over and for the purpose of reaching as many people as possible to take various actions. I also like the use of craft. John understood that the gospels were gonna hit different depending on the person receiving the testimony. So why this prayer during this moment? What does John know that he needs you to know? I experienced John's gospel as an elegant yet urgent plea. John, the writer, was once John, the young man, who stopped whatever he was doing to follow a young, another young man who was saying radical stuff and recruiting other young men to do the same. John, the writer, made friends along the way and clearly saw things that moved him. He clearly saw things that changed him. He clearly saw things that made him believe. In the end, he saw his friend die cruelly and unjustly and came to know that all of his friends would die in similar fashion. Only he would survive to see a nonviolent end to his life, or so the story goes. And maybe that's something else embedded in the testimony, an appreciation for being able to tell the tale. I met the Son of God, and I lived to tell about it because we were friends, because he prayed for me. While I continue on my journey of faith, I can say that I have rarely felt a sense of comfort or relief when someone has told me that they're praying for me. It's part of the Southern parlance sometimes. I'm holding you in my prayers, or I'm keeping you in my prayers. But there have been times when someone has held my gaze and said with their full power that they are praying for me or for my family. And when I was a child, this would weird me out because I didn't understand why someone would mention prayer outside of grandma's house or outside of church. Where does prayer belong? Surely not here. When I was a teenager, I was weirded out by the assumption that I believed in God and wanted to be prayed for and that the prayers of some other were necessary, let alone acceptable. I did not ask you to pray for me, so why would you do so? Looking back on it, I'm amazed by how much belief was hidden in that objection. I believed in God to such a degree that knowing someone was praying for me meant the risk that God would hear and respond. 
as an adult who has come to believe in a more mature way, I've come to understand that it's an intimacy to pray for someone else, to utter another's name as you lift your heart to the Lord is a deep expression of your faith and belief, but also your recognition of that person's humanity and preciousness. And so I still get weirded out knowing someone out there is praying for me. Am I so precious? Me? No way. Jesus prays for his disciples and declares them precious to him. John knows in his heart that Jesus is divine and ours is a God who loves us so much that he prays for us. John presents this as a particular kind of prayer, one of urgency, one of protection, one of knowing exactly what's coming and maybe even a bit of sadness for not being able to stop it himself. I wonder if Jesus's anticipation of the world and its behaviors is actually a reflection of John's experience with it. Perhaps John, the writer, added this prayer as an attempt of reconciliation. I didn't know how cruel the rest of the journey would be without Jesus here to guide me. But surely he knew, so he prayed for me. It matters that John so deeply believed in the power of prayer the fantastical nature of his witness aside, John has a few key takeaways, and this is one of them. If you choose to believe and to pray, the Lord will hear you. The Father knows you, just as he knew the disciples and rewarded them for their belief. There is always time to pray, even at the moment just before impact. Give to the Lord what troubles you. Ask for what you need. Pray in your knowing and your anticipation of what's to come. Utter it believing that God knows the full truth of what's going on and will fill in the gaps as is his will. We are finally reaching the far edges of the desert that is this pandemic. We saw things that moved us. We saw things that changed us. Perhaps we saw things that made us believe. We lost companions along the way. We didn't know how cruel the journey would be. I believe that someone uttered my name to the Lord, uttered the names of my family. In the intimacy of being on my knees, before my God, I uttered the names of people 
and their families. As we find ourselves on the other side, tired and afraid, mourning those who we miss, reconciling just how we managed to make it, let us keep John's urgent message in mind. We cannot foresee what comes next, but we can trust and know that we are loved and known by a God who speaks and hears prayer. It's just as powerful as you believe it is. Amen. <laughs>